0: So we've been talking about, and it's a series on knowing God. You know, we could preach this particular series every Sunday. We could include Sunday nights, and we could include Wednesdays. And we could preach every week for a year, and you would not exhaust the subject of knowing God. So we have to touch on it. This is the fifth in the series. We just kind of have to touch on it. So Daniel 11:32. 32 and Daniel was prophesying about wicked nations rising up against the people of God. And, you know, God is not constrained, whether by few or by many, to save, the Bible says. But in Daniel 11:32 he says this, And such as do wickedly against the covenant, it's the people of the covenant, shall he corrupt by flatteries. This is the evil leader that will rise up. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Amen? Say, I am strong, and I shall do great exploits. See, you're not an insignificant person or just a number in the kingdom of God. You're here for a reason. God knows you. You were born by purpose and design. You were born in the time that you're in because God purposes and God has a plan for you. He reveals that to the prophets. Isn't that right? With Esther, for such a time as this, you're in the kingdom. And so your purpose and your timing is now. So there's nobody insignificant in the body of Christ. Paul even tells us in First Corinthians 12 that though the body is many members, each member is uniquely gifted and talented and has a specific role and purpose in the body of Christ. And so the knowledge of God, we need to know Him to become effective kingdom citizens. And the outcome of that is God expects all of us to do the things of the kingdom, kingdom stuff. So we've looked at some theology, we've looked at some practical stuff and practical aspects of the knowledge of God. And like I said from the beginning... I am assuming that you understand that you need to have a personal relationship with God by your reading of the word, by your prayer time that you spend with him, by attending church, by spending time with other believers, the fellowship of the saints. These things are important to your knowledge of God. Amen. Many times you can only comprehend the love of God. And Paul tells us that in Ephesians 3, we can only comprehend the magnitude of the love of God when we are together with other saints, and we see their love for God, and it stirs something in us, amen? But the question that often people have asked is, can finite man know the infinite God? So what we need to do is look at a few apostles and prophets in the Bible. So listen to what Isaiah chapter 1 verse 3 says. It says this, this is, you know, God taking issue with the people of Israel through his prophet Isaiah. And he says, the ox knoweth his master, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people do not consider. Now, it's quite bad when God compares us to oxes and asses. You know, when he's saying, even they know their masters. You know, it's incredible. I'm sure you've all seen the footage of the farms, even game farms. When they hear the vehicle driving that's bringing food, they come running. They don't attack the one that's giving them food. They know their master. And God says, my people don't know and they don't even consider their relationship with me. Job says, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe? This is 11, 7 to 9. Job, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths of the grave. And can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. So he's almost implying, but how can we know God? Paul says this in Romans eleven thirty-three. He says, oh, the depths of the riches of both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Jeremiah says this, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise man, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me. So one says, you don't know me. Another says, how can we know him? But then along comes Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 3, and he says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The only way we can have a relationship with God is to look at Jesus, because then we know and understand God. Amen? And he says, and then... Through him, through myself, Jesus is saying, when you get to know the Father, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. When you know God, this is eternal life. So church, I'm posing the question, if we don't know God, do we have eternal life? If we know of God, there are people that study the Bible, you know, for archaeological purposes. There are people that study the Bible because of the prose and the poetry, you know, and just information, but it doesn't mean they know God, amen? So we have to have a relationship with him. So Jesus then is the pattern and the means by which we know him. So we looked at this fact that he has Jesus, he is the son of God, and he had to get to know the father. He's a heavenly father, just like he knew his earthly father. He wasn't born with the knowledge of his father. Come on, that's a revelation to you. He didn't come with eternal knowledge. Philippians 2 tells us he emptied himself. So it tells us in Luke 2.52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and favor with man. The implication in that is that he got to know his heavenly father. And so he spent time often. you know, He even said to the disciples, come ye apart and rest a while. Where would they go? They would go to go and spend time with the father. Yeah. And if you look at the theology of Jesus and his understanding of God, You can see from the early part of the Gospels how even in the period of his three and a half year ministry, his understanding of his father grew. You can see it. It's there. Come on, church. How much more us? And so we discovered over the weeks that first we need the knowledge of God. This will give rise to an understanding of God. This will give rise to the wisdom of God. And everywhere in the Bible, wisdom is practical. Because wisdom is the practical application of knowledge into life. And that's why Jesus said wisdom is always proved right by its children. In other words, by its actions. So your knowledge of God, your understanding of Him, should translate into how you live your life for Him. Everybody agreeing? Great. We're on the same page. So listen to this. So listen to what the wisdom preachers say. So... If wisdom comes from a knowledge of God, we're going to just look at Job, Psalms, the preacher in the Proverbs and some of the prophets. But just very quickly, very quickly, are you already? Listen to this. Job 28 verse 28 says, And unto man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom on the negative side. Wisdom is to depart from evil. Can you see that? Listen to what it says. And to depart from evil is understanding. Yeah. Come on, church. So with the knowledge of God, when it comes, wisdom says, if I know him, I have to depart evil. Yeah. Okay, I'm building to the message. Is that okay? This is the backstory, and it's always long. Yeah. Okay, you ready? Psalm 111, verse 10. Are you ready? The fear of the Lord, that is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, a good, healthy respect for God because of who he is. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments and praise endureth forever. So listen. So wisdom says, I do all his commandments. Because that's wise. Proverbs seven, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, in other words, if we're wise through our knowledge of God, we accept wisdom and we embrace instruction. Next verse, Proverbs 9, verse 10. That's why I'm explaining it. That's what takes so long. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy. In other words, what is holy and the holy one is understanding. I think that's a really good thing. A.W. Tozer, one of the great Pentecostal or evangelical theologians, wrote a book, and the title of it was this, The Knowledge of the Holy. If you ever see it, A.W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy, profound work. Okay, you're ready. Now listen to this. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. And these are profound I mean, we could even stop now and go like, "Wow, that was an awesome message." Hey, eh? I haven't even got there yet. All right, ready? Isaiah thirty-three verse six: "And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times." If you ever want to know the word of the Lord for now, this period of time, there it is: wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. What was your stability during the last two years of COVID? Wisdom and knowledge. And the strength of your salvation. The fear of the Lord is your treasure. Come on. The fear of the Lord is your treasure. The fear, the respect, the knowledge of God is your treasure. Come on, that's a great treasure, isn't it? All right. So now, knowing God is to become like Him. In other words. Because everywhere it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom comes from knowledge and understanding. And it's the application... Of his principles into life, because once you know his principles and you live them, obviously you're living like him. You're becoming like him. Is that right? God wants us like him. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Do you know? Very often, you I mean, you see it right throughout history. Through empirism. In fact, if you go to Russia or some of the other states, Armenia or whatever. But whenever a great leader rises up, the first thing he does is put up a statue of himself. Very often, his image is put onto the money. Even in the early days, back to the times of the Romans, the Caesar's head would be put on the crown. In modern history, we can even see, even now, the coins and the money in the United Kingdom bears the queen's head, isn't that right? The bust, this section of the queen. You see, because every leader... If I can put it this way, every God, small g, wants to look at their world and see their image. So the God who created everything wants to look into the world and see his image. So he created Jesus, who was the first, and he looked into the earth and there's his image reflected. This morning when he looks into this room, he sees his image reflected. Come on. Amen? Amen? Because we bear the same image and likeness as Jesus. Is that okay? So it's summed up in a beautiful, beautiful verse. And the Sunday school teachers are teaching the children. Let's look at Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. And it tells us, That there is the fruit that comes from the Spirit. Now, how many of you know, all of us who've been born again, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. Is that okay? The baptism in the Holy Spirit is another dimension, another experience with the Holy Spirit. But when you give your life to Jesus, He indwells your spirit, and it can either be the Holy Spirit, or it can be your spirit that bears fruit, either works. So in Galatians five twenty-two, it says, "But the fruit of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, but more accurately, the fruit of your spirit, when the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, is what: yeah. love, joy, joy peace." peace all goodness, right. Right. Verse twenty-three. All right, now we're going to put it into the New International Version because Bev says you don't understand the King James. Okay. Bev says she doesn't understand the King James. So let's go back to verse 22. It puts it in more modern English, all right? But the fruit of the Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can just stop there. Nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Is that right? You know, often we read it and we go, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness. Wow, these are awesome. And we kind of wonder why self-control is tagged on to the end. I mean, what's that? I mean, love sounds much nicer. And so does joy. You know, we just love everybody. And we're happy and we've got peace and all this kind of thing. But do you know why self-control is put on at the end? Can I tell you why? Because without that gift, none of the others are possible. If you're not in control of your spirit, yeah. love is not possible. Yeah. Joy is not possible. Peace is not possible. Okay, yeah. that was a revelation, eh? Yeah, yeah I got it from Bev. Because <clears throat> Bev's just like Jesus. Okay. Yeah. So love, joy, pe- So self-control, self-control. So Everybody say, self-control. Isn't it amazing? How many of you have been around people, know of people? If they're here at the church, don't raise your hand. But how many of you have been around people who are controlling? Only four of you. I really thought there's going to be a whole lot more. Okay, how many of you have been around control freaks? You know, God doesn't want you to be controlling, He wants you to have self. Self-control. Controlling people are people who do not have. They don't have self-rule. They don't have self-mastery. So they're trying to master someone else. They think they are the masters of the universe. Amen. And so control or to be controlling is an issue that stems from the fall. And every human being, to a degree or other, is a little bit of a control freak. Every one of us. Because the thing that we fear is to be out of control. But you know, God always talks about it. And there's so much in the Bible. But the control needs to start in self. Is that okay? It's amazing that you hear people then that always want to conquer and overcome, subdue have dominion, but they can't rule their own spirit. Can we just take it a bit further, because it went quiet at that moment, so I just need to get another blow in. Everybody wants to do spiritual warfare, and cast out, and bind, and, you know, can't bring down demons and all kinds of things, but they can't win their own warfare on the inside of them. Okay, somebody now has got to say amen, otherwise I think I've got a room full of people feeling guilty now. (laughs) And so self-control, God wants us strong, God wants us mighty, God wants us powerful, God wants us to operate in rulership, authority, dominion. But let me tell you, you can have no dominion over demonic forces if you don't have any dominion over your spirit. Because you are subject to its influence. So he's made us to be kings and priests. Now, we all know the power of love, incredible power in love, incredible power in joy. Joy is really a weapon of resistance. The joy of the Lord makes you strong. Peace, the incredible, the fortitude that peace with God gives you is amazing. You find a person that is just at peace. The peace that is in them can affect and influence you. But we never talk about, very seldom visit the subject of self-control. So how is this tied to the message, Pastor John? Well, they that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. And I've already hinted at it. If you don't have self-control, it is directly related to the amount of or the lack of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness inside of you. Directly related. So let's just talk about a few things. I'm going to just talk about, you know, just extract some wisdom from Proverbs. Can we do that? Okay, so let's look at Proverbs 16.32. In Proverbs 16.32, it says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is we can put it back to the King James. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than the one who takes a city. In other words, quite the reverse is true, that if you're not slow to anger, you are not better than a mighty person. And if you can't rule your spirit, you are nowhere near like a person who can take a city. Can you see what I was saying? If you win the battle inside, you can win the battle out there. If you can control your temper, you can be like the warrior who single-handedly takes a city. But we want to dominate and gain territory out there in the kingdom and in the spirit, but we can't rule on home turf. What's happening inside here? We're out of control. Say amen. This is a practical message. All right, are you all ready? Proverbs 25, 28, and then I'm just going to give you some pointers. Is that okay? Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Come. This is amazing. Every city in biblical times was a walled city because no weapon at that time could penetrate the city. Did you know that Jericho... The walls were so high and so thick, they could race four chariots next to each other around the top of the city wall. So it was an impenetrable, unconquerable city until God says, now you guys just shut up and walk around and do what I tell you. And only on the seventh day you shout and blow the trumpets and the whole city crumbled and collapsed. So now the preacher in Proverbs says, like a city without defenses, is a person who cannot rule over their own spirit. In other words, anything that comes, you will fall for it. Anything that happens, you will imbibe it. Any circumstance that comes in your life will conquer you, will overcome you, because you can't rule your own spirit. Everybody say, I need to rule my own spirit. And so we begin to see when we put Scripture to Scripture how important That verse is in Galatians 5.23 when it says we need the fruit of self-control because all the fruit depend on this one fruit, and all the fruit together then makes up Christ-likeness. So the person who is able to master their own spirit is not as easily, you've got to listen to this, the person who can master their own spirit is not as easily recognizable as the person who cannot rule their own spirit. When you meet a lot of people, and they can rule their spirit, but they're not as easily recognizable as the person who cannot rule their spirit because that person who is not in control, it becomes obvious and manifest that the inner self is not under the reign of that particular person. And whenever they are challenged in some way, they become offended if they're questioned if they're called to account for something that they've done or any other way challenged, you begin to see a spirit out of control. Yeah. So the uncontrolled spirit, listen to the person who has an uncontrolled spirit, has absolutely no defense against temptation. Yeah. Who is it that great actor once said, I can resist anything except temptation? And so there's no defenses against temptation. The person with an uncontrollable spirit that is not, doesn't have the fruit of self-control has no energy or no discipline to do the necessary hard tasks. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to go and say sorry when you're wrong? Yeah. Bev can admit when she's wrong immediately. She doesn't drag it out. She doesn't have to cook people a meal even to... Yes, it's lovely having the microphone. I could pick on Bev, but it's okay. I'll get it when I get home. She'll pick on me. It takes self mastery to acknowledge that you're wrong, to ask for forgiveness, to get in your car, drive and go and see somebody, and try to be reconciled. It takes mastery of your spirit, because you know it's just easier to avoid. It's easier just to pretend it hasn't happened and it'll magically fix itself and all of this kind of thing. But the person with self-control has the energy and the discipline to do what's necessary. No patience, third one, no patience and kindness with difficult people. No patience, no kindness with difficult people. Now, I'm sure you haven't met any of those. If you have, I hope you're not one of those. One of the difficult people. But if we are not with it enough and not in control of our spirit enough to even deal with the people around us that we love, how are we going to deal with enemies? How are you going to deal with them? And Jesus said, love your enemies. Isn't that right? And then he tells us not to respond in kind, but when they curse, bless. We're to do things for them that heaps... Hot coals on the head. And it's not go like, okay, I'm going to be nice so they feel bad. That's not what the Bible is talking about. It's basically saying, it's like they're out in the cold and you're going to give them a nice balaclava and scarf to warm them up. Your love is going to warm them. Everybody good? The out of control spirit is found in, okay, here I go, I'm implicating myself, okay? This is a confession. The angry motorist Determined to teach another driver a lesson for his bad driving. Yeah. Guilty as charged. When I was studying and I read that, I was like, I can't hold myself up as a paragon of virtue here this morning. So, the disgruntled employee who returns with a gun to get even. I kid you not, Asalia... One of the maids that cleans for us was telling us the other day, a school in Tembisa, she said she lives right next to the school. A fantastic teacher, lady teacher, brilliant. One of the students that failed came back and killed her because he failed. You know, <laughs> other students passed. This student didn't. Other students passed. While wow, this student didn't. So I'll kill the teacher because I didn't pass. No accountability. That's a spirit with absolutely no control. Do You understand what I'm saying? The gossip. Hoo, 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 hoo. The gossip who cannot resist the urge to pass along that juicy morsel of information to someone else. Come on. Listen. If they didn't enjoy it and if it wasn't a tasty morsel, they wouldn't do it. Oh. In the church, we make it holy, you know. We wait for the prayer meeting. This person, is so much on my heart, I think we need to pray. (laughs) So, it's gossip by prayer request. (laughs) Oh. Please don't tell anyone. It's a confidence, but I just want you to pray for Godfrey. Just pray for him. Why? What's going on? Well, remember, it's a confidence. You don't tell anybody. I mean, you must read what the proverbs say about it. It says gossip is like a choice morsel that goes down to the inner parts. Isn't it amazing? But afterwards, it turns sour. The word says something like that. But there's some people that will gossip and walk away and they don't feel bad. Some people will gossip, walk away, and then it's like, "Man, well, I shouldn't have said that. What about the anxiety that dominates your thoughts and moods? What about the insane jealousy and possessiveness? What about the insecurity that causes you to try to control people and situations? What about the bottomless pit of recognition and affirmation that's never enough? And the list goes on. So somewhere, somewhere along the line, our relationship with Jesus should be transforming us. Is that okay? And giving us the ability to control our spirit. Now, there's a, I'm just trying to think of the author's name. Absolutely brilliant. He writes a book on prayer, but his first book that he wrote was entitled Money, Sex, and Power. And basically what he's talking about, if you in the Bible talk about lust, a lot of people think lust is only sexual, but it's not. The higher proportion of people that lust, they lust for money. And before that even, there's a lust for power. Power is so addictive. Power, and especially absolute power, there's nothing like it to corrupt a person. And so he writes, and I'm racking my brain as I'm talking to think of the name of this author, fantastic book, Richard Foster. Richard Foster. And uh, he also writes The Celebration of Discipline. And then he writes a fantastic book on prayer. Those three, absolutely brilliant books. So Richard Foster, I read all, I consumed those books. His book on prayer, I just I read over and over and over again. It's powerful. Okay. So Money, Sex, and Power. So money, people can lust after money. And, you know, with it, position, you know, glory, success, because it gives you power. It gives you say. I mean, just recently during the pandemic, we see how almost unlimited money gave Bill Gates a great say in the WHO. Not a medical man, but it bought him a position of influence and say top levels where they can speak over governments and take control. Is Everybody with me? Amen. Okay. So we're not going to talk at that high kind of level, but let's talk a little bit lower down and just say, even money, don't pursue money, pursue God. Is that okay? But at the same time, be faithful in developing yourself in your career. Is that okay? It goes about goals and motives. So In other words, there's an appetite within us. And if we're not in control, that appetite will overtake us. I don't know if you've ever noticed. Let's just talk about physical appetite. I don't know if you've noticed how your appetite can speak to you. You can say, gosh, I need to shed the Christmas roast and the, oh my word, I've put on two kilos or something like that. On Monday. It's always on Monday. I don't know. We never start now. It's on Monday. So on Monday, on Monday, I'm going to start dieting. I noticed it with fast. On Monday, I'm going to start a 40 day fast. You can't start a fast on a Friday for heaven's sake. Monday is a good day. So on Monday, I'm going to start to fast. And, you know, let's just say it's Friday. And on Monday, I'm going to fast. Oh, my word. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I want pop and vores. I want Kit Kats. You know, I start to crave everything that my body knows it's not going to get for 40 days. You know, and you just about eat the ox. You just about eat the whole lamb. You just about eat a whole chicken before Monday. It's terrible. Then you start on Monday, and for three days you've got a blinding headache because your appetite suddenly started going, Ish! my throat is going to be cut for three days. I better do something about it, you know? So the appetite. And that appetite you can call lust. So the control of the appetite at all times is essential. So listen to what Proverbs 23 verses 1 and 2, and then we're just going to run through a few things. Listen to what Proverbs 23 is graphic language. And it doesn't just refer to your eating habits, okay? But listen to this. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're a person given to appetite. <laughs> In other words, before you make a fool of yourself, just stick the knife here and say, okay, that's enough. Yeah. Giving into appetite. And so we need to take control of our appetites, even if it's drastic. So here it goes. Number one, a person with self-control can accept chastening from God and appreciate his discipline. So Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, and there's many, but I'm not going to go into all of the verses. If anybody wants more verses, you can get my notes. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12 said, My son did not despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Come on, all of you work in a place. We have employers here, but we also have honest people here. And that is, the hardest employee to deal with is the employee that you cannot correct. Because they always self-justified always, who never admit it, but who can accept correction and discipline. And sometimes it'll come across as a criticism. Criticism is either negative or positive. Is that okay? I discovered a lot of criticism when we started televising on television, Spirit Word Channel. Do you know why I wear such nice shirts these days? It's not because I'm rich. It's because Marius and Yanni are rich. But I remember one day telling them I was so hurt because, yeah, I'm broadcasting on television and we're reaching 2 million people and it's worldwide. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. Soon or later, somebody's going to write in and go like, what a revelation. Just preaching and teaching. You are amazing. The first email I got is, you need to buy yourself some more shirts. We're tired of seeing the same three shirts. This is erg, I promise you. I was like, I wanted to reply to them and say, all right, big mouth, send me money and I'll buy more. <laughs> Idiot. And then I wanted to say, and that did you get anything out of this sermon? <laughs> I did it. I resisted the temptation. But the second time it happened, I did say something. Remember when, the days when I was wearing my shirts out? Somebody wrote to me from Pretoria and told me that I was misleading the youth of South Africa. I need to wear proper shirts, tuck them in, and wear a tie and a jacket. So I wrote back and I said, and what did you get out of the sermon? They didn't say anything. They just started carrying on. Da-da-da-da, yay Miss Lady, from South Africa, da-da-da-da. So I wrote back and I said, who appointed you my fashion Guru. I was exercising self-control because I was going to say something worse. (laughs) All right, you accept chastening. None of us likes criticism. Number two, you don't take offense easily. In other words, you are hard to offend. Now, I'm just being quiet here. I'm I'm not saying anything. Just letting the dust settle. You're hard to offend. Hard to offend because you're in control of your spirit. So listen again, Proverbs. That's why there's 31 chapters. It's a chapter for every day of the month. You know, in February, you read three extra on the 28th or 29th. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Okay, say amen, because that was good. And uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, Love is not easily or it's not provoked. I mean, if you can be easily provoked, you're not in control of your spirit. Right, moving on. Number three is a lot more in between, but I'm watching the time. You can receive criticism without feeling inferior about yourself, A, and B, the necessity to absolutely defend yourself, you know, to fight tooth and nail. Proverbs 9.8 says, rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Proverbs 17.10 says, rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows for a fool. No one enjoys being criticized. I promise you, I do not. I do not enjoy being corrected. It's not my favorite thing. My favorite thing is being praised and encouraged. That's my favorite thing. If Bev praises me, encourages me, and she puts her arm around me, and just gives my back a little scratch, I'm like a puppy dog with six tails, and they're all wagging. (laughs) Okay? But I have to learn how to take rebuke, how to take criticism. Yet, it's a constant in life. Criticism, positive and negative, is a fact of daily life. And so, if you intend to do anything significant for God, if you want to be strong and do great exploits, then we need to start learning how to handle those things. Is that okay? And you know, there are times, very few, very few, very seldom, where you allow me to respond to the issues you raised, because most often they're not. It sounds like self justification. It would probably be better to say, Thank you very much. I'm going to go and consider it and work it through. I'll chat to my wife. I'll chat to my husband. I'll speak to my leader. I'll speak to those around me. And if there's something in it that I can take out, I'm going to take it out. So in the meantime, thank you very much for bringing it to my attention. And would you please pray for me? It's getting hard, eh? It's getting harder. How many of you want to still know God, be stronger, and do great exploits? Uh, then I think this is the right message, eh? Number four, guard your tongue. Bev doesn't have any weaknesses. Only strengths. But one of her strengths that is not as strong as the other (laughs) strengths. Control your spirit. No retribution. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I always say, you know, often I'll come back to me and I'll go like, you know, this person said this and this to me. she'll say, why didn't you say something back? I'll say, no, I couldn't think quick enough. You know, I just thank God I'm stupid. You know? It's only afterwards I go, you yeah, were being horrible to me. Oh my word. Then I do the well, I should have just said that. I should have said that, but it's too late, you know. They're putting the knife in and I'm smiling and say, Oh bless you, and all of that kind of thing. And then afterwards I realise, yes, I was a lobe. So Bev will say, Bev will say, Why don't you say anything? I say, Oh, I couldn't think quick enough. You know, but Bev, Bev can think quick. Oh, my word. She's a fast thinker, you know. And she's honest. is she's very honest. She'll tell you. Because she's told people in the church before. Somebody has said something to her before she could catch it, you know, before the brain could engage, the words were out. I mean, I have done it a, a few times, you know. So what are we talking about? We're not talking about Dave. Everybody pray for me. Pray for me. <laughs> But listen to what um, Proverbs twenty-one, twenty-three says: "Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble." Come on, honesty check. How many of you has your mouth got you in trouble before? You know something that you said too quickly before you'd even thought. Yeah, and maybe even up to fifty percent of your problems. Is your mouth. Yeah. So listen to what James says. James says this. James James is really amazing. Listen, James also talks about being able to bridle the tongue. But listen to Job chapter 4 verse 4. A man who could choose his words. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling. And by your words you have strengthened the feeble knees. Now listen, another translation says, Job 4 verse 4 talking about Job's words. Job, your words have stood men on their feet. That's a tongue under control. Isn't that right? That's a bridal tongue. That's someone who, when they speak, don't speak their own pain, don't project out of their own need, but when they speak, they're able to pick you up and stand you upright and on your feet. That's the kind of language that we need to have. So with it, a sub-part of it is that person that has self-control can choose their words carefully. A man has joy by the answers of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The second part of that, being able to control your tongue, is that you are able to respond even to a harsh put-down or a criticism with gentleness. Or someone's anger. Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Okay? So point number five, you can do good deeds without mentioning it to anyone. You can do good deeds without mentioning it to anyone. You know, over the years, as God has taught me, for example, let me give you one thing. One thing. Often we like to tell stories as Christians, and particularly you hear it from men and women of God who occupy the front position in the church. And uh, you tell the story about someone and, well, I just prayed for them and I just told them this and then God healed them and things like this. Let me tell you that I've begun to understand. You do not understand the process that's been happening in them before you did your fancy stuff. And I just prophesied and everything changed. Well, that person was seeking God. So it was as much or more them than your fancy prophecy. So somebody comes and goes, gee, I sinned against you. Please forgive me. And then we tell the story. This person came and repented and apologized. And I was so gracious, I forgave them. Well, they're so gracious, they came and repented. The grace of God was working in them too. Yes. This is practical. Come on, everyone say practical. All right, we're heading down to a close, all right? And you can also do a good deed and not tell anyone. You can help somebody without the need to go and tell somebody to make yourself really good about what you've just done. Jesus had plenty to say about those kind of people when he says they got long phylacteries, long robes, stand in the public square, long prayers, walk up to the offering box, flash the bucks before they put it in. And Jesus said they've already got their reward, the attention and the applause of men. But here in the spiritual realm, zip, nothing. Number six, you can resist the urge to meddle in another person's business. You want to hear what Proverbs 26, verse 7 says? Whoever passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like a one who walks up to a stray dog and grabs it by its ears. (laughs) I remember years ago, Louis was listening to this preacher and talking about sin, and he was talking about how, you know, sin and, and like the devil, it's like someone standing with a dog on a short leash. So if you go up to this person, you just maintain a distance, you know, a little bit more than leash distance. He says, because if you go closer in Afrikaans, he says, my pastor told me a story when I was just starting in the ministry. He said, John, you're going to get these phone calls. If a wife phones you and tells her husband is beating you, don't go there and get involved. Just call the cops. He said, because one day, that's what I did. He says, and the husband and wife were having a good go at each other. So I stepped in and I pushed the man away and I told him to leave alone. And he says, and the next thing I was on the floor because the wife turned around and hit me with a handbag, which was full of stuff and said, don't hit my husband. Don't meddle in other people's business. Resist the urge to give advice when it's not being asked for. Yes, You didn't know Pastor John could preach so practically. eh? Number seven. You can make yourself do the hard tasks rather than to give in to the urge to take the easy path. I've said it many times, many, many times. God, this is what God says. He says it in Isaiah. I'm listening to hear if you say the right words, if you do the right things. It amazes me how many, many, and even Christians cannot say the words I am sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. They will do anything rather than say that. They'll make you a nice cake, they'll cook dinner for you, they'll give you flowers. Just like, ah, oh, you were just on my heart, I wanted to give you this. Someone did that one day, they gave me something, I said, Is this, are you wanting to say sorry? Because sorry would have saved you the cost of this. I wasn't being nice. I was trying to help them. You're trying to say sorry. You know, it's just much easier to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Is that okay? Bev and I had to teach each other these things. Well, she had to teach me more than what what her, because I found it very difficult. I really found it difficult to say, see, I was wrong, because I figure I'm, you know, there's Jesus, there's the apostle Paul, There's John. (laughs) I'm joking. (laughs) I'm joking. All right. And the hard task is to forgive. Come on, church. The hard task is to read your Bible. The hard task is to pray. It's easy to go, Oh, Pastor John, I'm in trouble. Please pray. Oh, now I must pray for my stuff and everybody else's stuff, and now your stuff, too. (laughs) You know, it's not biblical. Is that right? I like what Bruce Milne says. He says, go to the throne before you go to the phone. So have the strength of character, the discipline to do the hard tasks. And so Proverbs 12 verse 4, and then I'm closing with a quote, says, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Can you see the the importance, the vital reason why we need to be in control inside here. Because you can know God to a measure and be out of control, you will not be strong and you will not be able to do great exploits. God is looking for people. We're facing a world that is totally out of hand. Self-control is not a feature of, of the generation that we're living in. They're pampered, they are indulged, they are undisciplined, and they've been told everything about their rights, but nothing about their responsibilities. Everything that they are entitled to have, but nothing that they ought to do to get that. And so, You know, they're entitled to breathe free air. They're entitled to free electricity. They're entitled to free education. They're entitled to everything for free for nothing. We are breeding a generation. It's not only true in South Africa. It's true in the rest of the parts of the world. And for many years, you will look at Zimbabweans and South Africans shone in other countries around the world because we are mentally stronger. We were more disciplined, than anybody else, and then any bit why because they were pampered, we need to hear more about not what we are entitled to do, but what we are responsible and what we ought to do, so we need to teach more on what are your responsibilities, but people who are out of control want everything. Come on, I just hope, I hope listen to this as your pastor, I hope you one of those. That because I get it happened to me plenty of times. People come give me a hard luck story and all kinds of things, and they tell me what's gone wrong, and most times it's God's fault and the church's fault by, by implication somehow, you know, and then you say, all right, let me pray with you. Let me give you advice, and then you see them completely lose interest because they don't want your advice, and they don't want your prayer. They want you to give them the money, no obligations. No question asked. No, I don't want to establish a principle with you. Anything? Do you want to know how I came here? Do you want to know how I got here? Do you want to know where I started? No, we don't want to hear. Because somewhere, how you've broken through. You've worked hard. You worked. That's why it's little. I worked it off. <laughs> I mean, I worked. <laughs> One thing I know how to do is work. I worked. And people, I don't want to hear, how many years did it take you? Oh, something like 38, but here I am. Oh, no, 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 I want it now. Quit the lesson. Don't preach and teach. Just give me the money. Instant gratification. All right, I'm going to close with a quote. So listen, Morgan Freeman says this. Morgan Freeman. Do you know Morgan Freeman's a Christian? You know that? Hmm what he says. Self-control is strength. Calmness is majesty. You have to get to a point where your mood doesn't shift based on the insignificant actions of someone else. Don't allow others to control the direction of your life. Don't allow your emotions to overpower your intelligence. Bless you, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> to it, we're in a time in the world and in our generation where whatever the flesh wants, people give to it, give into it. That's why we have the LGBTQ community burgeoning and affecting the whole of society. That's why we have crime rampant. That's why we have leaders you steal without any compunction, embarrassment, or anything. Millions, billions, trillions. With complete, complete abandonment. There's no shame because there's no awareness of... They've removed every consequence. But just sort of the moral fiber, the, the integrity that should be just normal to us as human beings. They don't even have that. And not only here in South Africa, right through Africa, right into the rest of the world. Now you watch Russia and China siding up against the Ukraine because America says we're going to get involved. And when you look at that picture, you see little boys in a playground fighting over marbles. (laughs) The insanity of leaders that are running this world. Church, you know... It behooves us, it demands that we as Christians are in control here, produce all the other fruit, know God, be strong and do great exploits. Amen. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we just want to thank you this morning for your amazing word. Lord, your word is so rich, it's so full, so powerful. And Father, right now, in between the teaching and the joking and the laughing, Your Holy Spirit spoke to all of us in some area or the other. And Father, right now with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, now it's not about my husband, it's not about my wife, it's not about the boss, it's not about my children, it's not about the brother or sister in this church, or anyone else right now in this moment. This is about me, what you said to me. And Father, I just pray. I pray for myself, I pray for your people that there would be a resolve, a decision, a response to say, yes, Lord, that aptly described me, succinctly illuminated an area of my life Lord I'm praying that the response would be Father would you help me with this by your Holy Spirit would you enable me to have the grace the strength because your power is made perfect in weakness give me the grace to change this thing Father I want, I want to ask, I want to be so bold On behalf of your people to say allow us to go through it until we win it confront me with it until I've changed give me that spirit of mastery over my own spirit self rule so that in future my words will stand broken men women children up on their feet will put them in an elevated place, in an honorable place, in a place of overcoming and victory. Father, I pray it in your wonderful name. And yes, Lord, we do pray for anything that has, and for those online, anything that has an addictive quality. Father, we know that pornography is rampant in the world today. Lord, we know that sometimes we'll bury our sorrows in the cookie jar. Lord, we could run to escape in the alcohol bottle. These are things that, as natural people, people do. Some turn to drugs to mask the pain. But Father, I'm just praying that fruit of the Holy Spirit that your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, please, would you just rise up in our hearts, in the hearts of those listening online, and cause us to be delivered by the fruit of self-control, self-mastery, self-rule. Father, I pray it in the name of Jesus. Lord, I want to speak to every anxiety, every lack of peace, every depression, every heaviness. Lord, there's times that these folks have read the Word, they've quoted scriptures on peace, but somehow they're unable to attain it. And Father, I'm just praying that your Spirit would give them peace. Lord, that there'd be strength in them to do what's necessary to make peace in their own hearts and Father, I ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus. Lord, touch your people. Strengthen your people so that they can say about ACF, those people know their God, and they're doing great exploits for God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.